George isn't at home, please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> believe it or not, I'm not home. George, pick up. I know you're screening for Allison. Hey. So, coffee shop? No, I can't. She knows I go there. It's not secure. Hey, I got another call coming in. I gotta let the machine get it. Bye. <laughs> Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out or I pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. Hey, it's Peter here with my FSHD. Uh, Wednesday again, and we got actually a real treat for everybody today because um, you all have been asking for it. And, you know, we try to be responsive to the community and uh, because it's really your FSHD. And so, you know, I got uh, two great guests with me today. I um, first is going to be um, a friend of mine that I met through our, you know, you know, I know multiple hats. And, you know, I have an academic lab in my FSHD, but I also have, you know, have a um, company that we saw started called um, formerly EpiSwitch RX, but now it's called Renogenics. Got hit with a little trademark thing. Make sure you do your Google search as well if you're going to start a company. And, um, and uh, I got to meet a really fantastic uh, individual uh, that we have as a CEO of our company, uh, Michael Gottlieb. And he is, apart from being amazing the CEO, um, is a, just like y'all out there, is an FSHD or himself and is a father of an FSHD family. And so, you know, we like to make sure that we're all um, have similarly aligned uh, in our mission with my FSHD, with our academic lab and all in our collaborators, and also with um, our goal as a company of bringing CRISPR inhibition to clinic. So kind of a mixing a little bit of our hats here, but we'll, we'll keep it clean. Um, but one of the reasons that um, I have Michael here and I'll, I'll introduce him, let him introduce himself in a second is because of his better half. And uh, that is uh, someone who I think you all already know out there, many of you already know, um, which is Tamara Gottlieb. And um, she, the reason that name sounds familiar to you is because everybody out there while you're waiting on all us researchers to get something done, um, you're saying, hey, what can I do for myself right now? And um, the Gottlieb family has figured it out, and at least for themselves and their family, that you can do something now uh, to improve muscle health. Um, and probably something everyone should be doing, even if you have, don't have FSHD, but you can improve muscle health and improve muscle strength. And she's uh, basically, um, they're here to talk with us today about um, what they've been doing um, with themselves, with their family, and to share that information with the community. So um, Michael, uh, Tamara, welcome to my FSHD and thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here for so many reasons, Peter. Number one, when we got um, our family's diagnosis in this space, there's a lot of different presence online, you know, different charities, different organizations, different research labs. And right away, you struck me as being so genuine, so sincere in your passion to help the FSHD community. So yeah, I'm very excited. And uh, it's not very often that Michael and I um, do anything like this together where we're forced to agree with each other and be nice for the <laughs> duration of the commitment. No hold hard. Go ahead. Peter, I think the setup was perfect. Tamara is my better half. And when we look at our diagnostic journey and, and what we do as a family, Tamara has, without question, led the charge. And 
brought us forward so many steps, not just myself with respect to diet and exercise, but our four children who all have FSHD as well. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Well, you know, I use you guys as an example oftentimes because this is the most common question I get when we run our research testing on people and they first find out, they, what can I do right now? When are therapies come? First, are therapies available? When are cures coming? And what? And the answer is kind of like, kind of no, no. To some of the definition of therapy, but what can I do? Is there anything I can do? And I always use you guys as an example of yes, there is something you can do. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's I really appreciate that you're willing to share this with the community because. Uh, well, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about our journey with committing to push back against the disease. But I want to, I want either to tell Michael's story quickly, or for Michael to tell the story, because I think when people get the diagnosis, they really feel like it's a punishment, and they feel why me and you know it's it's really it can be a really big blow to take and the flip side though of getting a diagnosis is living with the disease and not having the diagnosis and i think many people will be surprised to hear that michael lived the first 37 years of his life wondering what the beep was wrong with him when doctors had repeatedly failed him in diagnosis and he was much more it, yeah, it wasn't only it. doctors, it, it was the school system. When when I was four years old, the kindergarten teacher called my mother and said, Michael can't run. And my mother said, well, he runs like me. And my grandmother said, he runs like me. <laughs> so, you know, if, if, if we look at the, the lineage through our family and, and the progressive hip weakness, um, mm -hmm. it was very clear where I inherited FSHD from and where it came from in my family. But Super all clear, Michael. School, Tell, yes. I, I know it's painful to talk about, but I, I think listeners need to know that eventually, notwithstanding that you saw the neuromuscular teams at the largest children's hospital in Canada and, in and in the U.S., that by the time you were 12, you were sent to psych to find out why Michael refused to be athletic. Just a stubborn kid, huh? Yeah, I, I <laughs> stubborn and American attest to that. So certainly very stubborn. But yes, I was I, I was hospitalized. I at one point was sent to psychiatry. I had you know a number of challenges as a kid, which we've overcome now. Um, but no one knew what was wrong with me. And we had the best neurologists in North America trying to figure out why I had this combination of respiratory insufficiency and headaches and muscle weakness. Um, and eventually they just pinned it on a psychiatric condition, which clearly wasn't the case. I was doing very well in school, socially, academically. It, it wasn't an issue. So, sorry, right, so, so bringing it you, back. Yeah, I'm just go, curious. Yeah, did exactly. they just tell you you're lying? I mean, you yes. say, they say, why won't you run? It must, it must run. be in your head. It, it must be in your head. So even Maybe though you try to explain to them that you you don't you're so crazy you don't even know that you can't do you're not trying to run type of thing. Right. Like surely surely you can do a sit-up. Surely you you know you can you can move a little bit quicker. Um, so Peter, and, when I tell you that I was so moved by the work that your lab did years before our families ever connected, now you can understand, right? Like the fact that you offer people a diagnosis when the world's best clinicians couldn't figure it out with Michael is so meaningful to our family. Well, well I wish that this was a story I was hearing for the first time. Everyone's got a tweak on it and there's different ones. But one thing I've used in my talks a number of times are kids that were adults that have told me as kids they were in for depression because they couldn't smile or they didn't do stuff and it's just and these are kind of things aspects of misdiagnosis or lack of diagnosis that have profound effect it's just that people don't consider i mean your childhood this is your childhood oh you know, everyone says smile for the camera and you don't and, you know what's wrong with this kid mm. and it's like, 
Yeah, it's, and I, I don't know. I just think these are things that are missed in the big picture of the disease. And when it gets to people say quality of life, and I don't think people really appreciate what's meant by quality of life. You know, I mean, totally, totally. So getting back to the whole value of the diagnosis, right? In our family's case, the diagnosis was actually, um, it really allowed us to to appreciate number one the health that we had, but number two now. It's the opportunity to know what we're dealing with, right? And that was huge because once you know what you're dealing with, right, then you can do the research, then you can start trying things, you can start to figure things out, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, et cetera, et cetera. So in our case, we really looked at the diagnosis as a good thing. Because living with the disease without the diagnosis is so much worse. Well that's, well, that's the thing is, you know, something's wrong. I have found when I have to tell people, again, we, do, we don't actually do a diagnosis because that would be, we do a research test, which yes. is, you know, um, but um, which is becoming a diagnosis as we're pulling it through to get the proper certifications to be a diagnosis. Currently, it's a research test. But what I have found is when you tell people that, uh, I, I thought, gee, I'm going to have to tell these people that you, you, it's consistent with FSHD and they're going to be upset. And a lot of times it's relief. And mm. it's the ones where you say, well, if it's clearly not FSHD or inconsistent with FSHD, those are the ones who are upset because, so what is it now? Cause they know something's wrong. You know, something's wrong. And you have now you, you can't even get to step one till you know what step one, till you know where you're going. So, so what, you had mentioned you run like your mom, you run like your, your grandma, but they didn't know what they had then. Right. That's correct. Yeah, they, they didn't know what they had. My mother had scoliosis and other health challenges. And, and my grandmother um, had pretty significant pain, uh, very significant shoulder weakness all through her life. Um, that was oddly attributed to arthritis, and rheumatism, when you know, the mm -hmm. medical community really had no idea. Oh, but Michael, on. remember when she really couldn't lift her arms at all anymore? And they said that it must right. have been because she had had breast cancer. And one of the yeah. nerves was damaged in surgery. And yeah. in, in fact, that, you know, not, not being able to move my arms was, I think, one of the reasons we push for a diagnosis, too. Aside from being unable to run and, and having mobility challenges, when we had our first child at 27, I think, Tamara, yeah. we, you know, what, what do fathers do? You pick up your kid, you put them on your shoulders, and you walk around to give the kid a better view. And that was great for the first kid. But by the second kid, I couldn't lift my child over my head. Yes, and I realized that that my arm mobility was significantly different and significantly mm -hmm. altered permanently. In fact, um, and I worked very, very hard in the gym, probably five or six days a week, to try and get that back. Okay, you so have, babe, you because uh, you know when you commented on it, right? You're using the top shelves in the kitchen again, right? You're reaching yep. for things up high, right? It's pretty remarkable, and we hear this. I will say we're kind of going a little bit off topic, but one of the questions that gets asked in the group all the time, in all of the FSH groups, in fact, is if you're an FSHer, can muscle be regrown? And right. my own personal experience with my husband, with my mother-in-law, with my children, and with friends in the community with whom I've helped is it is challenging and it can be done. And this is where things like understanding your uh, mutation length and Peter the really interesting work you're doing with methylation scores which I know people want to hear about um, 
comes into play, but it, the answer is absolutely not a no. It's it's possible. It's a lot of work, but it's possible. Well, individuals are different, different situations, but you, FSHD is different from the other diseases. And just so we're all on the same yeah. page, make sure we're all starting from the same point. I know I know everybody's listened to every podcast and understood every one, everything I've said. So, you know, bear with me while I just kind of recap real quick that, you know, remember what we're getting at is FSHD is somewhat different as a neuromuscular disease than many of the ones that are out there. Most of your muscle diseases um, are mutations and structural proteins of the muscles. So all your muscle cells are essentially built bad. Your house is built with bad bricks or they're missing some structural component. The cement's not good. And so you have kind of a weak house, you know, the mus all the muscle cells are you know, kind of collapsing and breaking. And, and that's typical muscular dystrophy. Um, uh, now, FSHD is just a completely different. It is a dominant gain of function disease. You are your muscle cells are expressing uh, essentially, it will consider it a toxic protein called DUX4 coming from the DUX4 gene, but most of your cells are not expressing that, right? So actually, you have a lot of healthy muscle cells. You have some completely healthy muscles if you did a full body MRI, and it's just kind of, we call it a mosaic pattern of expression where you have kind of spontaneous bursting of expression of DUX4 throughout a muscle that ultimately triggers a cascade of muscle pathology. And then once that cascade's going, it's not really clear how well we can stop that, but you end up with getting fat and fibrosis and, and, and muscle atrophy and loss. But a lot of your muscle is still healthy in there. And because of this, you're also, you know, the other unusual aspect of FSHD is that your whole body doesn't go at once. One particular muscle can go, even just like mm -hmm. one, one side or one of a group, one of your quads can go and the others are fine. And so you get a lot of muscle compensation. You might not even realize you're having muscle loss, but this is also where a lot of pain is gonna be coming from because you're asking other muscles to do stuff that they're not normally doing. So the muscle compensation, so pain is a common thing that people complain about that may or may not go along with some noticeable weakness. So the, so because FSHD is different in this way, the idea is then you should be, you know, can you increase your percentage of healthy muscle to, to disease muscle, or can you save some of your healthy, you know, your um, healthy muscle? Uh, it's not like a bomb goes off and the muscle's just gone. You know, it's a progressive myopathy. So we see a lot of people that are very athletic you know, have delayed disease, probably because they're yes. starting from a different point where they have more muscle mass that's slowly going down. So if you, I often describe it to people as a, a weight hanging from a rope and you're kind of cutting at the rope. Well, if the rope's bigger, um, it's going to take longer to cut it for the weight to drop. Or if you can actually repair some of that, um, you know, you still might be cutting at that rope, but you know, the weight's not going to drop until you've, until the idea is, can you delay that through either building more muscle mass or slowing down the destruction. And so that's that's where FSHD, um, the pathogenic mechanism, the pathophysiology is a bit different than the other. Um, and so when you're looking on Facebook groups, make sure you're FSHD. It's not necessarily, um, the other groups, Duchenne and these other things are different, but that's what we're gonna be talking about today is as you know things that can be done to improve muscle health um, whether it's exercise, nutrition, supplements, and to make the most of the healthy muscle that you have, even regain some of that healthy muscle so that, you know, yeah, you're not, you're not beating the system, but you're kind of, you're kind of gaining the system. You're just, you're, you're skilling, you know, you're tilting the balance towards healthy um, as long as you can. And that's actually that's what you've been really good at. So let's talk a hundred percent, Peter. So I want to just dial into this one a little bit more in respect of, we talk about those spontaneous bursts of ducts for, right. And then the mechanism that causes the muscle loss. One of the things that we found out in the last few years is what 
creates these spontaneous bursts, right? It's a, you know, the definition of FSHD is the unregulated production of DUX4, but it's not fully unregulated. It is the role, and you talk about this, and it's great, is epigenetics. So the environmental factors that contribute to more DUX4 production, which leads to more muscle loss, right? So we, and you hear for all the time from patients who, who you, you know, you were telling me the story about can get stung by a jellyfish. I just got, you know, a, a bunch of messages from people <laughs> right right who um experienced about of uh, somebody experienced about of herpes somebody experienced well, another viral disease somebody else had i think it was um uh, a slap cheek what's the other name for slap cheek is parvovirus b19 i believe right hey, how about so, lyme disease you get a lot of lyme disease people i've had a lyme yeah i've had a lyme disease too so they've had these other illnesses someone was in a car accident yep. um someone was in uh, and as you talk about a number of people had no idea they had the disease because they were semi-professional or professional athletes right so super focused on the healthy lifestyle had a sports injury and that created a cascade so one of the, the things to take away from all of this is that our environment plays a role and we can control the environment. So when we look at supplementation, right? So I look at, and the whole lifestyle that Michael and I've created for our family, it's about three different sections. So one is supplementation to control inflammation and oxidative stress because oxidative stress definitely turns on that cascade of DUX4 production. The second thing is, and this is very much just a, taking a page from everything that's been researched and written from people people who are in uh, athletics and in any sort of muscle building exercise, which is feeding muscle there, especially with a disease like FSHD, we want to make sure that when your body has been stimulated and is ready to make muscle, that the nutrients are there to make the muscle. And then the third thing is the exercise, right? You, you, you can do all the right things in terms of reducing stress, lowering oxidative stress, right? Taking all the right supplements and eating all the right foods, but you also need to be stimulating muscle production. And that means various forms of activity and movement, right? So those are sort of the three big silos, well, right? And work together. They, they work, and that's kind of what I think just online and from talking to people, people do one or two. What they yes. want is a pill. They want to take some pills and not have to exercise or that's exercise right. but they don't want to, you know, it just seems like you need to do it together. But just, just you do. Quickly, you know, about the epigenetic, FSHD is an epigenetic disease. And what the epigenome is, it's a way that you're, you've evolved to integrate the environment into your genome. That's essentially mm -hmm. what it is, whether it's stresses or sleep. And, you know, I've heard this way back when I started, because I got into this because of, FS, because of epigenetics. That was my background, not FSHD. And as an ideal disease. So all of your, you know, you have the same mutation in all of your cells. You have different, but the epigenetics, the methylation that we measure, um, tells us kind of your your epigenetic state, which doesn't mean that your gene is on or off. It means you have the capacity to be on or it's maintained off. But it's, so we yeah. I call it on and off because people need binary things in their head. But you can be healthy people. It's epigenetically off. And you kind of clamp down and silence it. When you have FSHD, we'd say it's epigenetically on. But what it really means is that your cells are primed and amenable to having the ducts yes. being turned on. And yes. I'm a believer that there are triggers that must yes. be this way or else they just be on and you just have a standard progression, but they're clearly going to be triggers. Mm -hmm. And these can be stresses, immune, and, and I hear immune insults all day. I got the flu really bad. And then I got mm -hmm. just like what you're talking about. Right. And, so and of course it's triggers. chicken and egg, Peter, too, yeah. right? Because why well, did cycles, you get yeah. 
that right the flu really bad why is it that you got that you know parvo b19 what was it that made you so susceptible so your immune system wasn't functioning which allowed the pathogen to take hold in such an aggressive way which then further precipitated right the worsening of your fshd oh, symptoms and, right and it is a ramp up we've seen some great work from stephen tapscott's lab that yeah. shows that ducks for expression can lead to more ducks for expression so yes. once you kind of start this this ball rolling more balls start going downhill and so so i'm percent you know i wrote a grant on this a few years ago sent it to um some of the foundations to identify i said if you can identify the triggers those mm -hmm. are all points of therapeutic intervention and it's just you know they just want nothing to do with it i was just stupid and it's just uh, got nothing, i couldn't get anywhere but i thought boy in a lot of ways nature's already solved this because really you're you're mostly off you're mostly not get FSH. then triggers come on and then it ramps up and then it just starts going and if you could slow this down or intervene but that's essentially what you're doing you so that's what figuring out ways to intervene with the triggers. Hundred percent. And so the way all of this started was we were working hard to try to, you know, make a better life for for Michael and for the kids and and Michael's family. And I was doing a fundraiser for Muscular Dystrophy Canada. And so I had put out a call. Is are there any FSHers in Canada who want to be a part of this fundraiser? Who want to share their stories? And we connected with Emily Cowett in Ottawa, who's amazing. And it was. Emily was really at rock bottom, like wheelchair, no neck support, you know, really almost unable to leave her house. And I said, you know, Emily, this is what we're doing. And it made such a big impact for her at that um, she shared the story with then others. And it has evolved into this lovely community on Facebook, the FSHD Supplements nutrition and peer support i think we call it yeah, because yeah, yeah. just to be really clear i am not a doctor i am officially dr mom uh but that's the extent of my title you don't give uh, medical advice this is not I, official no. medical advice same here i'm not i guess i'm a doctor i hate being i'm a phd nothing here is should be considered medical advice a hundred percent. I'm not giving medical advice. I am sharing our story as is Michael's and I would never want to give people medical advice or marital advice. Right, dear. Yeah, well, I got some. I got, <laughs> we'll maybe cover to that at the end. I agree. <laughs> so um, so I, if we're getting back to the supplements, the, the supplements are kind of in also in different categories. And it starts with the French study. When early on when Michael got his diagnosis, I was really combing the internet and came across the French, the first French antioxidant study, right. which to me was mind-blowing, but also made sense. Um, and there's that, and that study has evolved too. So now there's other studies involving other. Uh, minerals as well but the core supplements that have been studied the most in this community are uh c e selenium now zinc uh, coq10 or ubiquinol and fish oil those were the first kind of um that research has done a deep dive and actually I want to stop now and ask Michael a question to explain something to everyone listening, because one of the things I get asked a lot are how come there's no research to support the use of supplementation like bigger than what's taken place? Why aren't there the type of scales of research studies to substantiate the efficacy of, of the supplements that we use at home? And also, how come the dosing is all over the place? You know, a lot of people like that when they go to the pharmacist, the pharmacist can say, you know, you're taking 250 milligrams of this twice a day, and that's how it is. And the world of supplements doesn't work that way. So, babe, 
Can you explain why there aren't the kind of large-scale research studies for supplements? So, so let, why, let me just interject one thing, Michael. I'll, so I really didn't give you a proper introduction. I would, so yeah, you're a guy off the street. <laughs> you're, you're not just a typical guy off the street with FSHD or without FSHD. You, you've been in the business. You've been in the industry. Um, and so you, would you mind giving us a little bit of your 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 background in, in the kind of biotech uh, industry and also just, just to kind of lead into, you know, you're speaking, I think your experiences will, uh, well, then people can, Charlie, can, yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Whoop, you're up in the woods. Uh, now the internet cut out. Okay. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Now? Yeah. I'll splice it together. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Uh, thanks, Peter. So uh, it, it's a good question. You're right. I'm not just some crazy guy off the street. In fact, I was diagnosed with FSHD when I was running the rare disease business at Sanofi Genzyme, visiting many neuromuscular physicians and trying to, at the same time, figure out what was wrong with me. So I was at Sanofi Genzyme for uh, just over seven years. It was a great experience leading their commercial rare business, which included rare neuromuscular and Pompe disease up in Canada. I then moved to join an oncology startup where we raised three or $400 million and took the company from zero to a public listing on NASDAQ very quickly. And it was great to see that organization grow. So now as the CEO of you know, Gen X, not only am I working with you, Peter, but I've got, uh, I do have FSHD and a, a clear passion to make this work and ensure that uh, we get a treatment to market as soon as possible, which I think, Tamara, is your question. Why why do we not have commercialized vitamin treatments? And I think the yeah. answer really sits in that cost-benefit analysis, at least from a pharmaceutical perspective. So if it costs over a billion dollars to get a drug to market, and those are the FDA clinical hurdles and the patients that you'd have to enroll in large-scale clinical trials, um, you're looking at products that are available over the counter today that are off patent, that don't have any special secret sauce behind them um, and don't have any secret formula. Now, perhaps the secret formula is understanding how to take them. And we've done as a family, Tamara, you've done as a family a lot of research and learning what to do with them and, and how to work with them and what works for our bodies and, and other bodies. Um, but I think that's really the pharmaceutical challenge when it comes to vitamins. They can't make any money on them because in order to bring something to market, they have to be assured that they own the asset at the end of that billion dollar clinical trial. Exactly. Because, vit exactly. because vitamins are not patented or patentable, um, there is no ownership opportunity and therefore no reasonable opportunity for a pharmaceutical company to recoup their billion dollar investment in bringing it to market. Right. So this so puts the burden on you guys. I mean, this really, as a community, this really- 100%, which is why the group is called- yeah. peer support. We're, we need to be helping each other. We need to be each of us sharing our own experience with supplements because there is so much bioindividuality. There are so many unique biological needs, you know, with each of our own distinct um, versions of the repetition of the disease, right? Our, our own genome length, but also just with our other you know, our lifestyles, our diet, et cetera, right? We, we have to be sharing this information. But Michael, there was another question that popped up from the group, which it was about, you know, these, when a treatment comes to market, it's going to be so expensive. Aren't they just, you know, the usual, they're just ripping us off, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
I think I want it would be great if you just took another moment just just emphasize that it it's, it's billion dollar investments right from pharmaceutical companies into these products and they need to recoup their costs that's why no we have nothing yeah <laughs> I, I I would say so it's it's multiple billion dollar investments to to get a drug to market but we also have to look at the drugs that fail and most of the drugs that start off at time zero certainly don't make it to the to the very end to a commercial product. So it's not one $1 billion investment against a single disease. It's lots of billion dollar shots. And we hope that one or two work out. Exactly. So you're paying so for the Michael, ones that don't work. And you're also paying for accessibility of other drugs that do work in other countries that couldn't possibly afford some things as well. I mean, there's a lot of things going into what the cost that at least Americans and Canadians and maybe some Europeans are going to be paying for drugs. So. You, but, you, you know, work I, in pharma, I've, Michael. Go, go ahead. I, I've always said with respect to drug pricing is a very complicated discussion that maybe, Peter, we can have on another podcast. Um, but I've always said that I don't want someone on one of my drugs who isn't benefiting from the drug. And I think mm -hmm. that's a, a really important discussion that companies need to have, that payers need to have, the government should be having with those companies that are bringing drugs forward. Um, and we're seeing more of that. We're seeing more success-based reimbursement opportunities out there where companies or insurance companies and governments will pay for a drug upon the demonstration of efficacy, not only in the clinical trial, but also in the real world. Well, that, that's where we've kind of, as a research lab, and it's just kind of in ourselves, just speaking personally, where we've been upset. And it's not, well, first off, the cost of a drug that works is a good problem to have. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you have a drug that works. You start, now you're already you're starting at the right place and then you can deal with that. Um, the cost of a drug that doesn't work is what really drives me nuts or the idea that people, you can make money without putting out a drug that doesn't work, whether it's a company or what, whatever. Um, efficacy, it's it's and anyway, that maybe that's a good for a different podcast. We'll go down that rabbit hole um because yeah so, we could do that for it but i want something to tamara i just want you to comment on something if you don't you had said as a community it's about sharing but i want to make the point maybe and correct me if i'm wrong but the devil's in the details as i like to, is is that you can't just say well i take creatine and i take i take coq10 and i take you know what do you take how when do you take it what's your regimen you got okay you know because all right if you're going to be, if you're going to share, you got to share All right. information so, that is consistent. And so she, you can't share garbage or you screw everybody up, right? Okay, fair enough. But I will say this. Number one, our process is evolving. And every time, I, I every few weeks, I make up satchels for everyone in the family with their own unique cocktail. Because even within our family of six, for, on, as an, by way of example, magnesium, there's, there's what, a dozen different forms of magnesium. Not everyone in our family tolerates the same form of magnesium the way the others do and so i've found that i actually have to buy three different types of magnesium in the house um because the family needs three different types right so, so, so it's, an devil, it's an, uh, absolutely so i would say this i would say to someone who has fshd and who is looking to improve the quality of their life it it, it is a huge effort and and a huge change and you're adopting a lot of rigor and um and cost the, the supplements are cheap the the results for our family have been addictive because it's uh, well listen like when we look at michael's childhood michael can't run my kids can run my kids actually scooter 
they skateboard, they ride bikes, they swim. They don't do front crawl very well, but they can swim breaststroke for thousands of meters. You got someone playing hockey, don't you? My my little guy is in a a house league hockey, but yeah, he's on skates, you know, with no ankle weakness, right? My oldest daughter. I never had... So Tamara, just to interject, I, I did try hockey and that was also a point of contention in the family because my ankles really were pretty weak. I could not skate. And uh, it was just another embarrassing moment for me as a kid. Oh, Michael can't skate. He's a slow skater. His ankles hurt or he just he can't keep up. But knowing now and having the diagnosis really equips us to manage our kids' lifestyle in a much different fashion. And Peter, you talk about our kids in hockey. We have one kid, and I know you've mentioned this on the podcast before, one, our oldest son plays trumpet. And I think, Tamara, when you told the neuromuscular specialist that he was playing trumpet, everyone thought it was ridiculous. Right. Yeah, How they really did. They, re- they really thought it was such a dumb idea. And at that point, he had started, he he has the most facial paralysis out of our four kids, and he had started to lose his smile. And he also, some of his um, pulmonary tests, you know, his respiratory tests were, they weren't bad, but they weren't great. Um, and uh, actually, with the, the help of Muscular Dystrophy Canada, we got him the Jimmy Choo um, trumpet and Jimmy Shu was a famous or is a famous jazz trumpeter who himself has some respiratory issues so he created with Yamaha a trumpet that just requires a little bit less force and it's crazy what happened so Lewis got his smile back he, I mean listen it was hard at first five minutes of practice was about all of it that his mouth could take right and he's had it was to also hard it. to listen to so, so, <laughs> that, so being in a home yes. while someone's learning trumpet is not pleasant Totally true. Totally true. So there was that. Um, But, you know, his respiratory capacity, and he even said, he said, I'm finding running easier from playing the trumpet. So, so I think what we want to be clear on with everybody out there, Mm -hmm. this is not a case of where perfectly fine. I'm going to play trumpet to delay the disease. This is having trouble with the face, having trouble smiling, having trouble with the respiratory issues, taking up trumpet, and, and fixing these issues, recovering strength, recovering functionality. And I gotta say, it's it, now now that we're learning that breathing, well, I think the community knew, but now the scientific community is accepting yes. breathing is a major issue. And major, major. Um, what a great thing to do because those to work those, I mean, that's the best way to, well, that's a great way to work those muscles. Um, even 100%. if yeah, even if you can't go running, if you're already past the point, you know, so, so that's it. So that's a great example of being able to recover all things, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, wow, that's fantastic. Now I use that as an example. I think that's fantastic. Never occurred. I remember when you told me that. I said, wow. It's a- actually, I like the, something else Michael does, oddly enough. I like the stick shift. Oh, yeah. That oh, might, yeah. Well, well, and you're that still trying good. to see if insurance will cover your car, right, babe? <laughs> yeah, so I, I recently acquired a, a manual transmission vehicle. I was having pretty significant foot drop issues and trying to figure out how best to work it out. It's, it, you know, working out um, your ankle is is really hard in the gym. They're very small muscles. They're tough to isolate. Um, so I came up with the idea to uh, get a manual car. So I drive a manual car around and I've not yet figured out if I can claim it on my tax return as a medical expense working on that. My biggest regret. <laughs> my biggest regret is that we didn't measure the girth of your left ankle before you got the car. Because every yeah. time I look at your left ankle now, I am so astounded at how much bigger it's grown. It just physically. Just that clutch, huh? 
just God. crazy the girth that you've gained on your left side and uh yeah so we have like our family has so many stories like this so getting back to the supplements what we take is and i'm gonna i want to well, yeah, you have some stuff on let's just make sure get everyone we'll do this a couple times but yeah. there's the facebook site that you're running yeah uh, i have the list there and i'm gonna pull it up and go through it so in terms I will say this, it is supplements, but it's the whole goal is really about reducing inflammation. And so you also, you can't do that in supplements alone. You also have to look at diet. So we don't do a keto diet, but we have elements from the ketogenic diet. It's definitely lower carb. Everyone, I think at this point, it's universally well known that sugar and refined carbohydrates like bread, pasta, et cetera, are really pro-inflammatory in particular, Wheat, sadly, these days is a problem because 99.999% of the wheat grown is dwarf wheat, which seems to really cause a very significant inflammatory response in the vast majority of the population, not just in people with celiac disease. And so we try to minimize wheat, minimize sugar. We try to buy organic when we can, et cetera. So I wanted to be clear that if you're eating fast food, two or three meals a day and taking these supplements, that's not going to do it. it. It is the whole concerted effort. So getting back to the most studied supplements would be vitamin C, E, omega-3s, CoQ10, also known as ubiquinol, selenium, and zinc. So those are really essential. I would say also in the core of that would be a good B complex, vitamin D and vitamin K. But you're right, the devil's in the detail. So uh, I'll go through each one. Why is vitamin C important? It is not just that it's an antioxidant. It's actually a cofactor for the absorption of your other vitamins. And when you take it with your food and with your other supplements, it forms what's called mineral ascorbates. So vitamin C does its own thing in your body, but it also helps you to absorb your other vitamins. It also helps to do something um, called acidification and your body loves it when you have acid things like lemon juice and grapefruit juice and vitamin C, because it helps the microphages in your body to do their work, um, which is really important for your immune system. So probably too much information for people listening, but I, you know, at the same time, I, this is our opportunity to help people understand what's happening. Uh, the next is a B complex and why that's important is your B vitamins are really important for how, your, how you metabolize and use the food that you eat to produce energy. And I find for our family, B vitamins help with, you know, what's often a very stressful day to keep going. Um, what do I look for when I'm buying B vitamins for the family? I look for B vitamins that have a methylated formulation. That seems to be really important for how our bodies are using those B vitamins. I don't work with any vitamin companies whatsoever. I have no sponsors, although, hey, I'd love one. Um, <laughs> these vitamins are not cheap. So some of the companies that I buy that, that have methylated B vitamins are the Natural Factors Coenzymated B Complex or AOR or Life Extension. Um, to my knowledge, some of the cheaper brands like Jameson don't yet produce a good formulation, but who knows that could be coming. Omega-3s are so important. You know, really humans have evolved to actually eat not just a little bit more fish than what we eat now, but uh, infinitely more fish than what we eat now. And so, and not only that, when, um, 
when animals like cows and, and pigs and deer are raised on, on the pasture, uh, pasture-raised meats, I think a lot of people have heard about, those meats are themselves much higher in omega-3 oils, whereas um, traditional um, commercial agricultural farming produces meats that are very low in omega-3. So it's really important to take for our family quite a bit. Um, the adults in our family take three grams, that's 3,000 milligrams of fish oil a day. Um, the kids, uh, the bigger kids take 2,000, the smaller kids take 1,000. Um, I'm going to guess that that's probably off-label, like at a higher dose than what you would see on some of the packaging. As far as I know, and as far as our doctor knows, um, there's no adverse effects. I know that uh, friends of ours who have kids with ADHD and other diagnoses are, are giving their kids on doctor's orders those amounts and higher. So we, we feel very comfortable doing it. Ubiquinol. So CoQ10 was studied in a lot of the FSH research. Um, a, a better form of CoQ10 is called ubiquinol because it's already activated um, and is much more bioavailable and much better absorbed. Um, as far as I know, there are very few manufacturers that produce ubiquinol. So chances are whatever brand you're buying, if another brand is on sale, it's made in the same factory. So I, I would go with the, the cheapest one. And that's typically what I do. And Costco often has great deals on ubiquinol. Trace minerals are incredibly important for our health and particularly with FSH. We talk a lot in the community about selenium and it is definitely a big one with FSH, no doubt about it. Um, I wanna give a shout out to Wayne Nesbitt who has helped our family enormously. He's another FSHer uh, who's really devoted his life to researching the disease and um, is a phenomenal source of information for me. Um, Wayne and I were just having a discussion on selenium. You know, Wayne likes 200 micrograms a day we're doing 100 micrograms a day for the, you know, the bigger people and 50 for the smaller people. And it's one of those things where you need to, if anyone's trying to figure out dosing, you know, obviously talk to your doctor, but obviously, you know, you start and you see how you feel and, and go from there. One of the challenges with minerals, which is selenium, zinc, chromium, and copper, among others, um, is that there is a... Um, um, a balancing act that our body likes. So when we supplement with too much zinc, which I think a lot of us have been doing in the past few years because of COVID, right? And, and zinc's been, you know, beneficial relationship in terms of fighting off COVID. It actually depletes our body stores of copper and vice versa. Too much copper affects zinc. And zinc is important very much for our muscles and our immune system. Copper is really important for not just our, our, our skin, but anything that has collagen in it, which includes um, most of the soft tissue in our body and also our teeth and bones uh, because copper helps to place um, the collagen in our body and it, it encourages the, the production of more collagen. But, but copper and zinc don't like to be taken together. They fight each other. So there, there is a challenge, you know, or a commitment when we're doing supplementation of thinking about splitting up when we take our zinc and when we take our copper. Okay. Let me just ask you. So just, yeah, I'm kind of like overwhelmed a bit. Yeah. Thinking I, of myself, you know, and I'm just like more of a, well, I'm supposed to be taking like Centrum plus 50 because I'm over 50 now. And my wife wanted to really make that point with me. Um, yes. you know, and so <laughs> it's, I really uh, like her. 
<laughs> okay, so I'll tell you what, Peter, let me finish with my core list and then let me explain the cheat. Okay. okay well, I guess what I, I'll just show you think what I, my question was going to, you, you go through your list, but just how, yeah, how do you, well, I'll, no, I'll get to end. that. I'll, okay. I'll right. Okay, go so then vitamin D, there is an unbelievable amount of research on, on the, the importance of vitamin D for muscles in pain syndrome, uh, not just our immune, immune system and not just, you know, as it relates to osteoporosis and, and bone diseases. So uh, it is, and for our family, it's like low hanging fruit. You want to make sure your vitamin D levels are super optimized. And, and I, I, first of all, I'm not a doctor, so I can't advise people on, on how much vitamin D to take. But it, even if you were to talk to a doctor, there's so many variables at play. Where do you live? How North are you? How much time do you spend outside? How often do you shower? Because you actually need the fatty layer on your skin to be there for your, your skin to then synthesize the rays of the light and turn it into vitamin D. So if you're showering too often, you're not getting as much vitamin D from the sun. Do you wear sunblock, right? So that's one of those things where go and get your levels tested and supplement to the point of the higher end of the, the vitamin D levels, according to your lab. Vitamin K also extremely important for um, bone density, but what a lot of people don't realize is that higher vitamin K plasma levels have been associated with larger muscle mass. So we make sure to optimize our vitamin K2. And then the last one would be real vitamin E. So vitamin E has, has what I would call a checkered past because um, early days of supplementation were synthetic vitamin D, which is really a problem. So, or vitamin E, which is really a problem. And vitamin E is really, um, like really refers to this category of tocopherols and tocotrienols. And, and what I like to look for are things that are mixed and, uh, and also always natural. And speaking of symbiotic relationships, we, you know, we talked earlier and a lot of people are aware of selenium and the importance of selenium. Your body can't use selenium without vitamin E and your body can't use vitamin E without selenium. So it's a lot. And you know, that is actually in our family about 60% of what we take. So not even the whole thing, but how do you make it easy? And again, I have absolutely no relationship with this company whatsoever, but Life Extension sells a packet called the Comprehensive Essentials or something like that. And I can put a link to it and it has all of those in it in pretty decent proportions. And so if anyone doesn't want to be bothered with going and getting each one, and also the thing I really love about the Life Extension packets is that they've coupled a bunch of those together. So instead of taking a pill for each, you're, you know, you're taking one pill for two or three of them, right? It makes it a lot easier. I would say that is, um, that is a great way of going about doing it. And I would love to tell you that that's it. That's all we do. It is not all we do. Uh, I will, you know, Peter, like I could go on about this forever, as you know. Um, and and Tamara, that's why you started the Facebook group right? There, yes. There's a lot of information being shared online and a lot yes. of questions that are thrown at you every day. Yes. Uh, okay. So, the, you know what? Ser serenity now moment. I'm like, serenity right. now, you know, because it's just, it's just right. you know, you just got to wait, just get a hold of things. Okay. That's a lot. To, uh, so, that's a lot to take in. So I'm going to well, say dosing vitamin C for us, at least for the big people, at least a thousand for the little people around 500. Uh, B complex, that's really individual, but uh, you know, any of those formulations are the ones we used. I, I talked about how much fish oil, again, it's 
three grams for the big people, ubiquinol, that's, you know, ubiquinol is so important. It's what's being prescribed by fertility clinics around the world. It's being prescribed by almost every cardiologist in North America and in Europe. Um, to be clear, when you're talking ubiquinol, that people are taking CoQ10 and you're saying you yeah. take the form that's ubiquinol, which is an that's activated right. form. So it's not the same, right? It's the same, but it's not the same. CoQ10, you got to make sure you would say the ubiquinol is the form to be taking. To... Yeah, I think that that's pretty pretty well understood. I okay, mean, the me. reason why CoQ10 is still sold is it's a lot cheaper. Um, but how much should a person take? Well, I would say that depends on that our, our sources of ubiquinol in our diets are organ meats. So if you've been eating a lot of organ meats, then you're probably pretty good and you could supplement at one pill a day. Our, you know, I don't know what it is, but our kids didn't love eating liver, heart and kidney. <laughs> so, well, I'm a big liver person. I love it. But I got to say organ, you say, do you, do you eat a lot of organ meat? I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of heads nodding up and down out there in the Netherlands. The exactly. So then you might think of supplementing at a, or what our, at least our family's philosophy has been when we started we took higher amounts for the first month or so maybe two months in order to get our levels up and then we tapered down and now we're taking um i think michael you're on 200 i'm on 100 the kids are on 100 something like that um the the minerals are also tricky peter in terms of recommending dosages because again um unfortunately glyphosate and um, other contaminants in our soil means that some of the foods we have are or we're eating are just not that high if people are eating a great organic diet then maybe they they don't need as much and it's I'll, I'll go into this more if you want to do another podcast I feel like I could be you know on the dosing of each of these things for a long long time I think I think uh, a good thing is to have you well, maybe you know I, you know people don't like to hear me so I, I think having you back a few well, well we're not we're not done with you yet but I'm going to already extend an invitation to have you come back and we can get into more depth on stuff because I know this is what people are interested in and to hear it and maybe also some feedback from this and some additional questions. But I, I just want to ask you a quick question, though, about. Yeah. So you have this big mix of stuff and I'm just coming from a scientific standpoint. Yeah. So how do you judge that? Hey, I need to tweak this because at first off, you got to say what's you say, well, maybe this isn't working great. Is that an adverse response or non-adverse response? Or you're not getting the benefits time, you'd like? Or what's the deal? How do you know How do you know you need to tweak it after you started? Well, I would say that uh, based, the conversations I have with people in the community, the most common one when they tell me it's not working is that they either didn't actually bother to read the list carefully and bought things like omega-369 instead of omega-3, omega-6 and 9 being very pro-inflammatory and not at all needed as a supplement. In fact, will actually be harmful in terms of inflammation. Um, and so they're either bought the wrong things or they're haphazard in how they take them, right? Well, and, and so also not taking all of them. But, but I, I think maybe, maybe your question, how, how do we know it's working? I think well, I, I look at my my athletic performance, my recovery after exercise. You didn't talk about protein load yet, Tamara. That's probably nope. something we should cover. We'll get to that, but yeah. Well, I guess, well, so you're talking about, okay, so, so you know how you're doing, you got a routine, now you're on this new cocktail that you have and you should see improvement. So if you don't see improvement, how do you know which one to tweak? Is it, well, or, if you see, problem, or if you get a bad Peter. reaction, how do you know which one? Because there's so many to tweak. I mean, are there ones right. that, these are, these are the more tweakable ones that are going to have impact on dosing versus others that are more like broader, just good things. And then the second thing is, like you said, 
And I think this is something that um, I've heard from other people before is that if you don't take everything and you're not, and it's a chain of things that interact and you're missing one of them, you lose the benefit of all of them. So you got to, so you got to make sure that. Percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. So that's why I like to make, I, I like to point out that vitamin C isn't just vitamin C, but it helps with the absorption of all the other, um, or not the fat soluble, but the minerals and the water soluble vitamins, particularly the B vitamins and the minerals, right? And that vitamin E and selenium need each other, right? And I, so when we talk about this, yeah, it, there is a, there is a need to take them all there for our family to work. When I, when we've been talking with other people in the community, it seems to me that the more people invest their time into understanding both their own bodies and the symptoms they're feeling, right? Because you're right. They're tired. Someone's tired. What is it? Is it not enough B vitamins? Is it not enough sleep? I was going to ask it, about sleep, actually. I was going to ask right? about sleep recommendations. Yeah. Right. And, but, but also what we see a lot, especially in our family, very often, it's not enough protein, right? And that's and what Michael was so, at. Okay. Right. And so, and I'm at Michael all the time, especially since he's adopted this way of life and he takes it so seriously. And I'm so impressed with him. Like, uh, you have no idea um, that. Um, you know, I say, babe, you know, you're in the gym five days a week. You're a tall guy. You have to eat the amount of protein that your body needs. Just doing the exercise isn't enough unless you're feeding those muscles. So getting in the protein is really important. I know for Michael's mom, it's made, she, she started with the cocktail and it helped. And then we added a whey protein shake in the morning and it's like, wow, she's on fire. That's what I was going to ask you about, about what you mean yeah. by protein? Cause protein can come from a lot of places. So a whey protein shake actually in the morning, just, and then yes. just general diet of increased protein in the diet, or is it, uh, I was always through these sort of. Well, why well, it, tell it's you increased what protein and it's also Tamara timed for me pretty close to my, right. So I will always have what, three or four loose eggs right after I exercise. Yes. And that, that probably represents what one fifth or one sixth of my protein intake in any day. Yes. Well, that's a great point. So I was just going to say, what am I, what am I talking to the kids about right now yeah. is I don't need them to be obsessive over reading labels, but what I do need for them to understand, especially as they get older and I'm, you know, they're, they're eating outside of the home more is what do they need to look out for? And, and so with, um, you know, my bigger kids, it's for them, it's a pro protein target of anywhere between 90 and 120 grams of protein. And that might seem like a lot to some people who are listening, but think about it. Your immune system needs 30 grams of protein, right? Your organs and lungs and, and your heart, right? They also need protein. So, you know, if you're only eating 60 or 70 grams of protein a day, what protein are you leaving for your muscles? It's not much. And if you've got a muscle wasting disease, right, that, you know, and you're lucky enough that you've stimulated and you've kept the muscle to grow, and then you kept the, the inflammation low, you don't want your body to be left without the protein it needs to, to put on that muscle. So, and there's not a lot of danger or downside with eating too much um, protein. It's costly right? It's a financial dream. But other than that, there's really not, there's been very, I don't know of very many studies at all that show a harm. In fact, the studies that I have read about 
um, um, double-blind cohort studies where one cohort is, um, where everyone's on the same calorie count, but one cohort has more protein and the other has more carbs and there has more fat is that the higher protein cohort does much better in terms of its energy and body composition, right? So protein is essential. So yeah, whey protein shakes, things like pancakes in our house are made with a protein pancake mix. Um, thing you know we just macaroni and cheese is not a meal it it can be a side dish right but it's not a meal i mean craft dinner on the side if you know we try not to eat too much but you know you only live once right okay well let's put you know three or four scrambled eggs on the plate and have a little scoop of mac and cheese right so So, it's a a protein focused eating so michael can you so you you broke up a little bit when you said uh, did you say you have three or four eggs every day for your pro is that what you said he has three or four no, I, eggs I, I probably said sorry i'm sorry i broke up there can you hear me now Pro- yeah, i yeah. probably said something like three or four eggs right after i exercise and that would be uh, call it one fifth of my protein intake in any day or like a boiled egg or something like a hard boiled egg or something what, what's a- i like fr- i like fried eggs with a loose yolk i, I find that for me uh the type of loose egg is really easy for me to digest and and gets to the muscles right away you're not going to go with like you know, rocky and just take a pro just raw eggs and just go guzzle raw eggs like <laughs> and i don't do that no. no i don't do that i don't have that physique either but it's the same idea though you're putting yeah, it is building, this, yeah. Yep. It, it, it is, is, the, same it is idea. the same idea so okay. yeah so there's right, a you, lot you, of you want to feed you, you want to get your muscles ready to to put on more muscle you know, as close to that weight-bearing exercise as possible. And, and let me be the first one to say this is not easy, right? It's not easy to get off the couch and haul yourself to the gym. Um, but the benefits have been absolutely tremendous, right? The, the exercise, the high-protein diet, the, the vitamins have all contributed to this, you know, tremendous energy and drive to do more and succeed, not only for myself, but for my kids, well, right? As a, as a parent, you know, you do, you don't, if you just sit on the couch and tell your kids to do something, I'm quite sure nothing's going to happen. But if you're in the gym, if you're swimming, if you're out there um, being a leader, they'll follow. That That for an FSH family is pretty important. Well, and also just, like you know, hearing your history, you're talking about, you know, people talk about this as an adult onset disease. You know, you've had this your whole life. It sounds like since you were, you know, in grade school, you know, it's always... Well, I meet when I met you first time in person. I'm just like we actually walked right past you. We're just like, we're just like you know. Well, it's just you know you think FSH in your head. I mean, actually, it's actually has done a lot for you that you really someone doesn't really know FSH. I mean, you're not like you just don't stand out as somebody's like oh, there's somebody that you know has got a muscle disease. Um, it just and I think that's a testament to considering um, how long you've been living with this that you you're doing pretty good. This is proof is in the pudding, so to speak. You know, I mean. Yeah, you, you said something, Peter, that I want to correct. And when I was leading the business at Genzyme, I, I always corrected people on this one, which is adult onset. There actually is no such thing as adult onset, rare disease. You either have it at birth or you don't. And just yep. because the doctors missed it for 30 or 40 years, it doesn't mean it started when you were 30 or 40. It means everyone missed it. So yeah, and a I lot of people need... retro go back and think. They said, well, actually, you know, right. oh, you have it. Oh, you're 30. You've been diagnosed. Well, I could never blow bubbles. I've always been the slowest kid in class. So you're exactly right. It's an adult recognized, maybe. (laughs) I would say for me as a mom, the saddest thing I see in the community is where the kids have it much worse than the parents. And I, it's troubling for me because 
it's because of what we've talked about the epigenetics, the environmental factors, right? Like it, it means I look at that and it's like, well, it doesn't have to be that way, right? There, there's opportunities for you to help with your child's nutrition and, you know, with the, the change in lifestyle so that they can at least be as high functioning as the parents, right? Or have a chance to achieve that. And I think for us, if you want to talk about proudest moments, I think for both of us, so many of our proudest moments are, is that the kids function even better than you did in your childhood, right? And there's that, there, there's that rumor, right, that circulates around the community that it gets worse with each generation. No way. Not at all. Well, this is, this is it, it gets fun. worse if you sit on the couch. And, and you, you know, you talk about proud moments, Tamara. I didn't think that our little daughter would ever be able to ride a bike. Ever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. She has significant balance issues, significant weakness in she her had. life. I just, I never, she, she had, had. Thank you. She had, because one of the things we noticed with all the kids is that they skyrocketed in their health with their ability to swallow pills. Okay. Right. So the sooner that they can start swallowing supplements, the much better that they improve with their health. And it's tedious. Listen, it's really tiresome for them to sit down at, at a meal and swallow 20 pills, right? And yet, you, when I say to them, don't do it, like if it's too much, don't do it, they know, like they're like the difference in their energy, their health, what they can accomplish, what they can do, right? When, when they go for, to their neuromuscular appointments and they're told that their respiratory capacity is now above normal right not not normal but above normal normal. well that's fantastic and that's actually going to be important their whole lives because i really in the end the respiratory is what gets you Um, yeah and uh, hopefully that's not gonna be an issue soon anyway because as therapies are coming or you know treatments coming online from the pharma industry or bio biotech industry hopefully you know this is a problem but um but for now yeah breathing and and even at the younger age i think uh okay that's actually interesting because people we always consider it as researchers you know, it's sort of, oh, it's only associated with severe cases, only associated when you're older, you have to get on a bed. We don't really think of this because your kids are not, I guess, technically they'd be infantile just because based on the definition, but it's not what we consider research-wise as infantile. Well, We're- Lily, one of our kids might have been like, because I did have twins, right? And then there's always issues when you have twins, right? With just <laughs> like the sharing of resources, et cetera. Yeah. But before age and- 10? Were they affected before age 10? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, see, that's by oh, definition. Yeah. Clinically, they say they that would yeah. fit. But I think there's, I think that's a, not a very good definition because that's not what we're. I know you guys know one to three repeat family, so that's not a yeah. It's not a good definition, and but I will say that one of the things, having been followed by a neuromuscular clinic for a few years, that I love is I love when their test results get better every year, right? It's just like. Well, if you're doing something, so that's the thing. People will say, why should I bother going to my neurologist? All they do is test me and come back next year. There's nothing they can do. Well, if you're actually mm-hmm. doing something about it and your tests come back better, maybe that provides the motivation to, to keep keep it up because- 100%. So, so just going to shift a little bit just because I want to make sure we cover So this. I'll just say that there are a few more supplements that we take that I want to address. And okay, two great. of them are ALA and L-carnitine. And for a lot of people in the community who um, suffer with um, uh, heart weakness, those are two that they should absolutely, they might want to read about online because there's been a lot that's been written about those two. Okay. Um, and, and they also have a great effect on, on energy levels as well. And then there was one more. Are you going to cover magnesium, Tamara? 
Yeah, thank you, magnesium. Magne- so magnesium I- and gut health. And and I'll, I had a very personal experience with that. If we, you know, if we're opening up our guts here a couple of years ago, and I know a lot of FSHD patients complain of bowel and digestive issues, right? Dear, I, I had to, um, I ended up in hospital essentially having emergency surgery and a colon resection. Uh, and that was sort of, you could say that was before we started our vitamin regime, Tamara, or before I adopted it? Well, I would say before you committed to it, I, before right. that, I would put your vitamins out on the table and more than half of the time, they'd still be there when I was cleaning up after dinner. That you just right. and didn't... I, and, and I was the pharma guy looking for mm-hmm. the bill at that time, right? And, and as I said before, adopting this lifestyle uh, and moving forward is not easy. But uh, the results and, and benefits have been tremendous. But sorry, go ahead, Tamara. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up because magnesium is, imp- first of all, magnesium is involved with over 300 different functions in the body. It, it, it helps us with hormone regulation. It helps us with mu- muscle function, with cognitive function, with like, it's like, it, it, We'd, ha- there, we'd have to do, you could have magnesium as its own podcast. It seems to be particularly important to the FSH community. I talk about it separately because we take it separately because uh, in our household, we don't take it with our other vitamins. I know that in some households um, they do, but they also will take it again at nighttime before bed because magnesium can have a calming effect. It's involved. It's also involved in the production of melatonin. So it has a wonderful you know, relationship with sleep quality. It also draws, it's hydroscopic and draws water into the colon, which makes it great, you know, to the extent that people have challenges with constipation or bowel function, right? And different forms of magnesium do different things in the body. So magnesium citrate tends to be more stimulating on the bowels and, and magnesium glyconate, which, um, you know, has glycine in it and different people have different tolerances for glycine. Um, tends to work on the muscles a little better. So that's one of those things where, again, I'm, I'm buying three forms of magnesium because in our family, it's just been trial and error, hit and miss. Some people prefer the glycinate. Some people prefer the citrate. And some people seem to absorb it better when they chew it as opposed to when they swallow it. So, you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all solution. The other thing about, um, about uh, magnesium that's really important is that we actually need to build up tolerance to magnesium. So when we start taking magnesium, we start taking it at lower doses because our bodies have to learn how to absorb it a little bit. Um, And so it's, it is very much uh, you start with a lower dose and then you work up um, and then you see you know, and, and your body will give you signs when you're taking too much magnesium, you know, things like diarrhea, et cetera. But, you know, it, it's, yeah, Peter, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of commitment and it's not as easy as a prescription that you would take to the pharmacist that would provide a cure for the disease. I would say for our family, the results are addictive. It's addictive. It's addictive to function almost as a person without the disease. And I say almost because it, there's definitely still symptoms going on right michael's tried really hard to regain scapular function and he has to a certain degree but not as much as he would like right um but but it's addictive to have the energy to really function all day long right well that's well i think that's been one of the sorry Um, peter go ahead no i was just gonna say that's been one of the individual variations because people are starting when they people that are think listening starting are gonna 
are starting from different points. And so yes. what might be, and so having lost function and wanting to regain it may be a different thing from having impaired function and being able to regain it and something like that. But sorry, Michael, go on. I was just going to say the the energy has been tremendous. The the difference in my um, pick up and go has been mind blowing. I went from someone who could barely finish a day and, and falling asleep before my kids to someone who's quite happy, you know, staying up even after my children. So there's and, something about uh, amino acids. To what, 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 yeah. what, what's the energy oh, deal? Yeah. What's the energy part of this? Is there something that's particularly that got you kind of going? I, I, yeah. So, well, I would say it's, it's again, supplements are not necessarily, I mean, some people who've, who've started the cocktail have found an on off switch, but for a lot of people, it's more like the, you know, the volume control on the stereo. And as you add them, it goes up and up and up. And so, you know, we were doing pretty well. And then we added essential amino acids to the mix. And one night Michael goes, what did you give me? I just am on fire of so much energy. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm giving you a lot more amino acids. So it's the essential amino acids are your building blocks of protein. They're already broken down so that your gut doesn't have to metabolize them. There's, you know, you can go online to PubMed or Google, and there's a lot of research coming out of how seniors need to take amino, essential amino acids in order to forestall muscle loss as they age, right? So there's a good clue that it would be great for our community. And so we've just found by adding amino acids, a couple of essential amino acids, a couple of times a day, uh, um, yeah, we just avoid those those low spots, right, babe? Yeah. So you kicking coffee? No, no, <laughs> no, no. No. So we, we can do another podcast on coffee, Peter. My, my friends and Michael, others know that Michael I roast his own coffee. By the way, everybody out there, he roasts his own and sends pictures to his wife, which he accidentally sends to us sometimes of <laughs> coffee beans. Which I gotta say. Um, and I don't know, people, you know, Snapchat, different things, but that was an interesting one. I got to tell you. Yeah, we're, we're a home roaster. So we, we've not given up coffee. You can certainly still have, have coffee. Um, well, I would say we've given no, up has sugar. no calories, Peter. But well, that's it, right? We've given up sugar and we've given up alcohol and we've given up a lot of carbs and we've given up wheat yeah. and gluten. So a delicious coffee is one of the, you know, the few remaining well, treats we have left. I appreciate what you said, because I got to tell you, you know, I got, so Miriam in our lab, you know, Miriam, she's um, our student from our Pakistan and we just got a student from South Africa, Kari, who's a medical student hanging out in the lab and they want to, she wants, she loves coffee and oh, I got to take you to Dutch Brothers Coffee. And the thing is, is they found they found a way to pack like 2000 calories into a coffee cup at these places. You know, I mean, it's just they put so much. It's like a dessert. It's like you don't even need dinner with the way these people are drinking coffee. It's like so it's nice. I'm the same. I'm a get a really good coffee and have it black and just kind of mm. be have a proper one. And I'm still waiting. I I, I keep checking the, the the box of home roasted coffee hasn't shown up at the house yet. So I'm assuming it's just in transit. But it's in the mail. Um, That's right. It's in the, so. So, we're, so when I talk about what makes a cell, I always remind everybody the point of epigenetic regulation, gene regulation, everyone talks about this is all the stuff you need to turn on. There's a lot of stuff you need to turn off. You, so I'm curious, what are you avoiding? Do you have any recommendations? You're saying, oh, these are all the good things to take. What, are there certain things that you're saying you're, you're actively avoiding in respect to the diet or lifestyle or anything that might counteract some of this stuff? I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing it out there to say, it's not just all adding to the system. Are you are you making sure you don't add the wrong stuff? Well, I'd love to say that we kick sugar altogether, 
we haven't. Um, and I'll, there's people in the community who have a much shorter ducks for repetition length than we do, um, who have made much more drastic lifestyle changes and, and completely given up sugar and really see the benefits. So I don't want anyone listening to think that the fact that we haven't given up sugar altogether means that, the, you know, it, it, that giving up sugar altogether wouldn't help. I, I think it probably would help. What I can say is that we've made huge changes to our amount of sugar consumption, huge. This is processed um, sugar as opposed to maybe natural sugar. I mean, or do you consider it all together, like fructose or, I mean, do you just consider everything together as sugar? Oh, that's what, such an interesting, sugar? yeah, that's a really interesting conversation. Uh, I'm not, we're not too, adver- uh, for the kids fully, we're, we're not worried about fruit at all. You know, the okay. kids can have fruit. Uh, I would say, you know, this has been a journey for Michael and the kids with FSH. It's also been a journey for me. Um, helping them get healthy is helping me get healthy. I've lost a lot of weight that which needed to get lost. I have found out things about my own genome um, because I've had bouts of really bad illness over the past few years. And I have my own unique liver issues. So, um, yeah, it's been it's really interesting with a family with a wonky gene set how the same sort of diet and supplements are similar like not 100 percent the same but very similar helps us both um so, so, so that's I, actually i just want to say because for people listening i think that's an important thing is to do this as if i'm actually taking notes and listening for myself i don't have fshg in the family i'm a and thinking this will help me is just someone with a, the, the muscle disease of aging. But also, you know, you're taking, you know, you don't want to single out the kid that's got FSH or the single out say, this is your pile of stuff and everyone else is going to have their Twinkies and their whatever. Actually, the whole family getting involved, FSH or not, it's a healthy lifestyle, healthy, healthy, getting your muscle in the best condition, get your body in the best condition and FSH or not, you know. And get everybody involved. That might improve enroll. Uh, I would say enrollment. It's your family, I guess. But it's whatever you want to call it. Well, we'll talk about that. Actually, that would make a great conversation for another podcast because we didn't even get to talk about testing, which you know I'm really passionate about. Um, but 100%, we're all in it to win it. Um, and as you know, we thought one of our four might not have had FSH, but I gave him the supplements anyways, because I, I didn't want him to feel left out. And good thing I did, yeah. because thanks to you, Peter, we found out that he did have FSH. So, you know, it made that transition pretty easy. And um, I would say, um, yeah, I take um, like 90% of the ones that they do and a few others that they don't because I do have really wonky liver issues um, and it's contributed to all of our being in better health but from the reading that I've done it's interesting how this kind of set of this cocktail supplement seems to be you know what works for a lot of different diseases uh, now in different there's a little bit of changes in dosing etc but it, it's pretty universal that this is kind of what's sadly absent from the the what they call the sad diet the standard american diet how we're eating these days which also relates to you know agricultural practices etc but getting back to your questions on fruit kids seem to tolerate more carbs than adults do which makes sense given their hormone profile right so michael and i try to be more careful than the kids are um, but I, but will, I will say, you know, if we do slip and everyone slips and I have some pasta or, you know, if I sit down with the kids and have a bowl of ice cream, wow, do I feel it afterwards. Yeah. We really get incredibly tired and, you know, e- even to the point where I can start feeling some muscle aches. I really, you know, n- really notice 
uh, mm-hmm. the effects of a poor diet against and my I'll, body. I will say 100% that. And I will say to those listening who don't have FSH but are listening because they want to support family that does have FSH, I will say that I'm taking the cocktail and I'm, you know, I, I'm committing to the gym just the way Michael and the kids are committing to the gym. And what I've noticed is I'm this middle-aged woman who's lifting weights five days a week. And then I spin on the sixth day a week and I have like no recovery. I'm lifting some pretty crazy weights. And um, it's, uh, uh, for me, it's a, it's a little bit fun to have, you know, this kind of performance in the gym from a woman. I never did any sports. I was never on a team. I was never athletic. I was born 11 pounds and I was overweight my entire life. So to be losing the weight and, and having so much fun and performing so well in the gym, thanks to this cocktail that I'm taking, you know, to be part of my family's team is kind of exciting. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, the more, the better it's, uh, and again, that's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we see, Actually, more families like yours than than not, where multiple kids mm-hmm. affected. Rarely do we see it. It seems inheritance is is, is not quite fifty percent. No. So, but um, yeah, I do always kind of wonder when you have one kid that's not um, is being, and or or one kid that is. You see some, you know, again, we do big families and big family trees of of these things. You just wonder about the family dynamics and um, and you just want to do. I think. You know, these, I only grew up with one sister. You know, doing things as a family is always um, seems to always be best, right? Everybody on board with what what you need, and, and this is definitely a case of where there's no reason not to, in spite of your FSHD, right? This is not a disease specific. It's really beneficial, but it's not. You know, it's not. And and as far as we're aware, it's a. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'll say as far as we're aware, no harm, no harm for. Her. But actually, Peter, to pick up on something you just said, I think the old convention of muscular dystrophy would be to bubble wrap the kids, right? Oh, oh yeah. no, you know, Michael has FSH, therefore he can't do these ten things. And our approach with our family is exactly the opposite. Now, when we send our kids to camp, Tamara sends them with a ten-page letter explaining what they have and what they can do. <laughs> but but the goal, but the goal is to participate in absolutely everything to the extent that they can. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and to give your kids um, autonomy and and empower them to participate as much as they can, and for them to decide when they've had enough, so for sure. If you don't mind, I don't, and you don't have to share or not, but you know, we're I, I'm I love canoeing and camping, and I know that your kids went off to camp and mm-hmm. stuff. And I, all I could think is, God, I wish my parents had sent me to a camp. I would have loved to do it. You, but it was yeah. just interesting when you were talking about your son because I think that's actually a good story for an example of exactly what you're just talking. I mean, if you don't mind, just about the portage trip and. Um, sure, well, I'll say all four kids had a really active summer, and so our oldest was in France for a month studying French, and in the program that she um, was in, they did huge walking excursions and hikes every. Every day there the the days varied her lowest day was 16,000 steps and some of her days were over 25,000 steps right and um yeah she was beat from it but she had a blast could she keep up with the walking absolutely could she keep up with the standing in line for the attractions in France like the two-hour line to get up the Eiffel Tower I I I 
I'm guessing that when a lot of FSHers who are listening to this are hearing about the standing part, particularly women, because I hear this from women in the community all the time, it is so hard. It is just so hard to to stand for that length of time. You know, Michael, your mom always says she's fine with the walking, but don't get her stopped, right? Just keep her keep her going, right? And so I was super proud of my daughter that at, at one point she just said, look, I've got muscular dystrophy and I can't do a two-hour stand in place. I need to sit right why wear yourself out with the standing when you're keeping up with all the steps and I think for a lot of people in the community they feel awkward about having that conversation because there's this whole idea that you're kind of either disabled or you're not and we all know that's just not true it's not true at all there's just so many shades of gray and it's not an on-off switch it's it, there's huge amount of variation and you know it's it, quite frankly it's the year 2022 right? I think we need to give a whole lot of understanding and acceptance to everybody for their unique individual needs. So the same thing with our son, you know, he was off to a, he goes to an amazing camp where they did a five-day canoe portage uh, trip, 80 kilometers, 80 kilometers of either canoeing or um, holding a canoe over your head and portaging. So yeah, it's really hard on him to hold a canoe over his head and portage for any length of time. That is really tough. But his counselors and the team running the camp know about it and he does what he can and when he can't he says I can't and he does something else to support the team whether that's you know catching extra fish or you know keeping track of supplies whatever it is but you know he's been with this group of boys now for a few years and none of them will ever tell you that he doesn't pull his own weight he sometimes has to contribute differently but you know the idea is to keep as active as possible right the minute we start over criticizing the kids or telling them filling their heads with this you know you have fsh so you can't it, you know the conversation in our house is you have fsh and you can and you know maybe you need it tweaked but you definitely yeah, we'll can. deal with it you, you, we'll deal you with make, it you right? make do right so, you make do so the letters to the swim instructors at all the camp are our kids have fshd and they have great respiratory capacity great stamina and are water safe so i start with that right you don't have to worry my kids on drowning risk but here are the things you need to know right that because of the unique uh, muscle weaknesses of the disease, their preferred stroke is the breaststroke. They can also do some front crawl. Please don't ask them to do back crawl. They can dive. Please don't over critique their dive because they do have you know, muscle weakness in the midsection to a certain degree, right? As soon as I explain to the counselors what the kids can and can't do, right? they're so appreciative right and they're and all I hear back is how amazing the kids are and how resilient they are and how their attitude is all about what they can do not what they can't do and that's the kind of energy and and attitude we need to be giving our kids that that they have this disease yeah. right and, and the maybe, reinforcement participation and then instead right. of if you don't know and you, again you're saying oh your kid's not trying your kid's not trying you realize actually the kid's trying his butt off and doing pretty good the same 100%. experience is now positive instead of negative. You're participating. You're not wrapped in bubbles, stuck at home with your PlayStation. And mm -hmm. you're out there doing the same thing as the other kids because sometimes people want to hide it, right? Yeah, I don't, they don't want the label and they're hiding their kid. They, they're lying to people about things. And again, you know, do what you want. It's your family. But, you know, your, your approach has been to say with a letter, this is what's going on. This is what they can. And I think that as a, if I were a counselor, I know I was a youth soccer coach. And I would appreciate knowing this so that you're not yelling again. We would never yell at a kid um, because we get sued. But, yeah, um, but look we, we encourage people. And yeah. we try to, or, but it's not really yelling, but it's, it's 
you know, how are you going to set up the team? How are you going to do this? How are you going to maximize people and not put someone in a position to fail just because they don't have no chance to succeed? So it's really, I think it's helpful for everybody. It helps the kid, it helps the counselor, it helps everybody and to have as normal an experience as possible and be one of the gang because that's what you want to be, right? As a kid, you just want to be one of the gang, man. Well, that's exactly it. And so our son goes out for the competitive basketball team at his school every year. And every year we kind of wonder, will he make it, right? And he was pretty clear this year that he didn't want to make it unless he had earned the spot, right? And so that was a tough conversation to have with the coaches where he said, you know, like, if I can't keep up with my peers, I don't want to be on the team. And they said, well, we here's our stats and we're looking at how many you know, balls you're getting in the net and here you are and you're keeping up and, uh, you know, does it mean a little bit of accommodation? Yeah. Like he can't play two periods back to back, right. He needs time off the court to catch his breath. Right. And recoup. Um, but he can still contribute on the court. Right. But the kids, so, so it's actually really good. Cause you know, the kids get it. See, this is where, and I don't, you know, I, I didn't, um, I haven't raised any kids. We'll say. And so, um, you know, it's as a soccer coach, I actually got, got sued. Um, I don't laugh. I mean, as, as a as a as a volunteer grad student, as a grad student in grad school, I was volunteering to coach a YMCA team, and we we were out these kids. It was a great experience. Loved the kids. Didn't wasn't a big fan of the parents. Um, mm-hmm. and um, we ended up going up to a select team where you start cutting kids, and we, um, you know, so this kid got cut, you know, and uh, whatever his parents called up, why'd you cut my kid? You know, he's kind of not on the team, and it's like, well, we my my roommate who was was dumb enough to say why. And he individually had fine skills, but basically he couldn't function if you put one other kid in the field with him because he was just an idiot. He was, well, I don't use that as a polite term. He just was really, and they said, oh, well, he has ADD. And so that's actually a symptom of his ADD. So you cut him because of his disability. And therefore, if you don't put him on the team, we're going to sue the YMCA. And so you have to put him on. And so we went to, I had to get educated in ADD. Anyway, the point was that the kid, they, they forced us to put the kid on the team all the other and then um he didn't want to do it because everybody knew that he didn't really earn his way onto the team and the parents didn't do him any favor i mean the parent basically you know you just at some point there's there certain you can still play rec league you can still do certain things yeah protect your kid too much and then you're trying to do too much for him so i actually appreciate what you're you're so saying you know he's got to try out for basketball we do our best if you make the team on your merits that's that's what you do you understand there are some limitations you know, and, um, and you can do what you want to do, but it's, uh, the kids know what's going on. And that actually makes them feel, if, if you know, you're just the, the poster kid on the, on the team that didn't really earn it, everybody knows it. But I will say, to, I will say to parents listening, who maybe are not yet themselves comfortable with talking about their kids diagnosis to the, to the school, or maybe the kids themselves. And we've been in that position too, um, because at some points um, along the way, not all of the kids have felt comfortable and, you know, I think back, you know, Michael, when Lauren was in baseball and she, she was a great, great baseball player, but you know, her, her shoulder went out really early. Right. And so we put her on a pitch count, right. Which is a term, you know, baseball lovers know, but she didn't want people to know why she was on a pitch count. So we just said doctors have her on a pitch count. Right. And now she's great at talking about it, but yeah, sometimes, you know, you have to go with the pace of your kids and they may not all be ready to have that discussion. But I will say what has surprised, what's been a pleasant surprise in our experience has been that when teachers and schools and everyone find out 
what the kids have and how much they work and persevere around it. Everyone is just really applauds how hard they work and how much they try. And um, that has been a really wonderful experience for our family. No, I think that's great. And I, cause I think back to um, actually, you know, to my, my experience again with the, the team, that if people had told us ahead of time what's going on, and if we could have basically taken this kid with some skills that has his own social problems and make you incapable of functioning on a field, maybe we could have figured out how to do it too. Instead of first pretending everything's fine, then coming fine. back and saying, oh, now, I mean, but the problem is if you spend the whole, it just, it just was, it's a different, it's a difficult parenting thing, but it the, is. Kids, the kids know what's going on in the end, the kids kind of, and, um, and I don't know, I think that it's, I actually really liked what you had told me when we, we talked before about taking a let, you know, the letters that you guys have provided, giving mm -hmm. people the information they need to give the best success for the kids to have to be successful and so that they don't have a, a or frankly a horrible childhood that they're in therapy for their chat because when they didn't need to be 100 you know? it would think so like fsh it can be as simple as you know some of our kids just need more supportive seating right when yeah. they're in the classroom right if you're sitting for long periods of time and you don't have armrests anyone with fsh will tell you what that's going to do to their shoulders and neck and why should my kids burn themselves out right on trying to deal with a you know one of those you know you, you old you know type school chairs you know the ones that quite frankly none of us ever found comfortable <laughs> with or without fsh right right and and how much of an effort is it um to to put them in something more supportive and i'll, I'll tell you it, it's not even money is an issue there because michael and i went and uh through we, facebook we marketplace chairs from a furniture like liquidator yeah and, for and like and nothing our, our kids have you know you know, ten dollar office chairs. You know, given so, that so many offices and clothes are easy to find. And I would also add to Mara that our our kids never uh, sit on the floor in a gymnasium. They're sitting cross legged yes. for an hour yeah. in an auditorium is a mm -hmm. bad move. Totally and bad. Those, yeah, but that's exactly that. a great example. That's perfect. No, because this is where no. What do you say is don't treat my kid the same as all the rest of the kids. Actually, by saying don't sit on the floor. That is treating them the same as everyone else because that's not hurting everybody else. That's or right. That's even in the place or giving them the proper chair. You're, you're actually just, you are, that is, it's not singling them out and treating them differently. It's actually treating them the same so they can function and get through the day the same as the other kids. So 100%. it's just a different perspective of how to look at it because you're not, you're not torturing the other kid. Well, you might be on the floor and I hated to cross leg on the floor, but um, so did I. Yeah, well, but, but, yeah, I don't know why they do that, actually. God, it really is. Anyway. Yeah. So usually my letters to schools and camps are, uh, number one, they have this genetic disease, and I take the liberty of educating because everyone can use this muscular, dis yeah, muscular dystrophy with, with MS. I think I have inadvertently been one of the top fundraisers for uh, muscular sclerosis <laughs> in Canada just because, yeah, uh, of the confusion. So I say it's genetic it's degenerative and it's muscle wasting. Those are my top three. And it's not right? contagious. You're not going to catch it. That's I mean, right. No, it's not contagious. These, people just don't know what disease nowadays just is like that. Ah. Right. And then my, and my next thing is, and this is true in the case of my kids is my kids want to participate and do as much as possible. Please let them and please listen to them when they say that they need a break or that activity doesn't work for them. And it's really, uh, it's been really important that's for Michael and myself that we empower our kids to speak up about their health. We found that that was something that didn't exist in previous generations. And it's a skill set that is really important for us as parents that our kids um, have. For, 
even kids without FSH, because, you know, every time you see a kid drop at a football practice of a heat stroke, it's exactly. you know, because some idiot coach is pushing them there. I'm tired. I can't go anymore. You know what? Sit down. You're getting dizzy. Get some water. It just actually goes for all. You got to it is have to be a mentality of taking and taking care of your own health. And everybody's different. Exactly. And, um, exactly. And then yeah. the third thing we put is no sitting on the floor. Kids always require supportive seating. Um, and then we go into a few sport, like specific sport related issues, right? Um, and the feedback that we get from the school because of how, you know, I love well-organized bulleted letters, right? Is that they're so excited that I've made their jobs super, super easy, right? And um, Type A and, personality, are we? Yeah, a little bit, little bit. The kids are also running around with packed little Ziploc bags of vitamins portioned out for each meal, of course, that too. And Tamara, I, I'm looking at the time here and I feel like we covered a lot in this podcast. Can I just say one thing though about those yes, vitamins? Because I thought this was really funny. Remember when we got the email from the nurse at Lily's camp and it was about the timing of when she would take her vitamins. And in that same email, it was, wow, your daughter has a lot of energy. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, like, like her mom, a very, very, you know, warm and open and outgoing personality. Uh, but also it's kind of like you yes. wonder does the nurse even think that she has the disease right and meanwhile if they had seen this little girl born with congenital hip dysplasia bald forever because you know the disease was sapping her of some of the nutrients that she would have needed for hair growth and how she flourished after getting on the the yeah. supplementation cocktail and where she is today you know averaging fifteen thousand steps a day plus right it's yeah, because, because of what we do, right? We, we do count steps and we've mentioned the number of steps a couple of times. All of our kids wear a little step counter on their wrist and it's a contest, right? They, they can't have a treat or they can't do something until they've met their step count on the day. Well, They're that was a COVID it. survival technique when they were all home and it was like, is yeah. it breakfast? It, is it lunch? Is it dinner? And it was like nine o'clock in the morning. There's another <laughs> step counter on the dryer as it's going or something. Is there actually... <laughs> No, exactly exactly people with their step counter on their dog as they're sitting there eating drinking a coffee on the bench no no that's actually really good to keep track this is it's very different from the lifestyle i grew up you know we just kind of winged it with uh um lived grew up on coca-cola and garden hose water and eating every well actually we ate pretty healthy we did okay but um no that's really fantastic i really appreciate that you know i think people Again, this addresses thing, but I think maybe a half dozen times we said that's another podcast, and you know, and um, I'm not shy, and you're not, you're really not shy either. So I'm not shy about asking to have you back for some other stuff. I know there's a list of questions we wanted to get to, and I know that Michael's number one complaint, oh, yeah, his number two complaint about my podcast is how long it is, and his number one we just won't talk about because I'm not supposed to talk about his number one complaint. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, but I gotta, I gotta, can I ask you a quick question though about, I know you guys are huge Seinfeld fans. Oh yeah. 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 Seinfeld fans. So, and I assume that's because you relate to it somehow, somehow people must relate to the, it's funny. I know it's funny, but everyone, everyone sees themselves and people they know and all the characters. So I would not ask you Tamara, who, who is Michael on Seinfeld? Who do you think he is? And who does he think he is? Oh, that's going to really be two different answers. Everyone, no, everyone thinks they're crying, but I'm just kind of curious. You know, maybe we can come back and think about that. But I just kind of, 
I was, you know, because I know I'm going to say that for the benefit of our relationship, I should not answer that question (laughs) at all, at all. But I would say, you know, I mean, there's so many characters you can go. You don't have to go main characters, right? Jackie Childs, maybe. I I love my husband and I want to have many happy years to come. So obviously I see a lot of Jerry in him. Okay. And, and, you know, do I see a little bit of George occasionally? Hmm. Little George, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a dangerous one to ask. I I mean, I'll just be honest. Like who doesn't want to be Elaine? I know I'm not Elaine. Um, you know, I don't have her shiks appeal. I'm not as cool. Unworthy, so <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank goodness I don't dance with thumbs. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, ne- I never could dance. I, I I never could dance. Right. I I don't have the agility, and and we'll just chalk that up to the FSHD. Just a little bit. <laughs> there uh, I love it. It's um. Now we have a good time. It's actually I realize I find the people um. People that relate to find it, it's just a kind of a personality sense of humor. I, we all get on really great. I actually really appreciate that uh, the, that we can have um, serious, we're doing serious stuff. It's a serious business, but we can have fun doing it and, and be serious and try, you know, in the end result is to try to help people. And I really appreciate you getting this information out there. Michael, I really appreciate actually everything you're doing with us and in all aspects of um, the FSHD world that we're involved in and um so let's do another podcast yeah and i think because i got so many emails um and messages and questions that we did not get a chance to answer in this one maybe i'll take a turn in the host seat for a few minutes anyways peter because then i'll just give you a heads up but everybody wants to know the same kind of questions about treatment when is a cure coming when's a treatment coming of the treatments in clinical trial right now, which ones are good and which ones are not good? And this is a great question, which is how are they going to know when a great um, treatment comes along, how are they going to know to trust it and to know that it's great? And of course, I will, I'll just take um, a little hint on answering that one, which is start researching and understanding the disease now. If you don't already understand how the disease works in your body, you're going to need to understand that in order to have a baseline for understanding the treatments. So, so first off, I'd say everyone's got just easy questions, pretty, pretty clear. They're just going for the low hanging easy questions, right? Cause yeah, just, yeah, no problem, much. no problem with any of those. Now I'm happy to address and give my comments on those. We'll do that in another, we'll follow up with this. Yeah. And, but um, you know, something. And one more, one more question that we have to um, address on the next po- podcast is that Jerusalem Post article on the dangers of CRISPR technology. Oh, yeah, we'll talk forever for that. Yeah. No, but, you know, I would mention that, so, so the whole point of my, my FSHD, I started for two reasons. One was to bring our research test to everybody in the world. No one would help me do it. So we just had to do it ourselves. So accessibility to testing, but so many people don't understand it was to educate yourself. And I believe an educated patient population mm. is important so that you can actually pick out the craft that's out there. I mean, say this, this isn't going to, or some of these is, you know, just not to just, you can't trust everybody. That's what I'll just tell you. You cannot trust everybody. Um, you, you, at some point, point, whether it's this, you know, you got to, um, ask questions. Anytime a scientist says, don't ask questions, that's a day. That's a red flag for a scientist that says, just trust the science. You have to understand. I know it's hard. You're not all scientists, but we have a lot on the MyFSHD website to just get some fundamentals. We try to be accessible, but I'm also happy to go over, you know, we have some CRISPR podcasts, you know, with our, with our CRISPR goddess, uh, Carice, that uh, does some great explanation. People tell me we still sometimes are a little sciencey, a little bit too much. 
Even medical doctors, clinicians need FSHD multiple times. They need to hear it again. So don't feel bad asking questions. We'll just keep going over it, but get educated. That's exactly right. It's your health. It's your family. And mm-hmm. fortunately, it's up to you for a lot of it. And uh, yeah, and we're going to do our best as a research community um, to, to do our best. But um, you got you to gotta hold us accountable, too. Your job is going to be to hold us accountable, hold everybody in the space accountable, um, you know, because you guys, it's, it's your lives, man. And uh, we're going to do our best. But I really appreciate you both coming on. I know, um, Michael, probably time to get go out and go some fishing done, right? Um, well, I'm so grateful again, Peter. And also, I want to say that if we're doing another podcast, which it looks like we're doing, we got to talk about testing in a more fulsome conversation because there's always this, well, I'm going to wait for clinical evidence. I want to wait to see that if my kid has oh, symptoms. And yeah. yeah but yeah, it ties yeah. into this really well because people say, I don't care. I don't want to find out if my kids have it because there's nothing you can do. And what we're hearing is actually there's something you can do. So you can do something. Absolutely. Today, so, fine. so it all ties in together. Um, you know, and so, uh, hey, but feel free hey, out there, send me an email. Tell me if you like to, tomorrow or not. It's, I, I think it's fantastic. I want to, <laughs> I don't know. I want to make you a permanent co I want to bring you on. And uh, I, I actually, love, I've had a great time talking with you. I think it's really informative. It's a good use of time. It's a good use of my time, of everybody's time to give real, real information that is, um, again, it's not, we're not medical doctors. This is what works for you. And, you know, you're getting it out there and yeah, people can let us know what works for them too. We're kind of curious of what doesn't work, but, um, you know, we're just, we're doing our best to get the info. I really appreciate it. We will come back with another, we'll, we'll come back and probably within a, well, on your schedule when you can get some time and get, get to everybody's questions, you know? Sounds great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, yeah, Peter. No, thanks a Super lot grateful. <laughs> that one right now you know um it's funny because when i asked for a song that's what i got actually they're huge <laughs> the Gottliebs are huge seinfeld fans we have a lot of good time with that um and uh, but i just want to remind everybody so really appreciative um of both uh uh tamara and, uh, and michael coming on and, and telling a little bit I, I just actually it's very interesting hearing michael's personal story um through diagnosis and going through I don't know, about 30 years, it sounds like before getting a proper diagnosis. And and probably a lot of people can relate to to some of the things um, in, that happened in, in his childhood that they're making sure don't happen for their, their children's childhood. And also this idea of doing something about it. Uh, just want to remind everybody, I am not a medical doctor. Um, Tamara's not a medical doctor. Uh, Michael's not a medical doctor. This is not medical advice. Um, you know, at suggesting or tell, telling anybody to do anything or not do anything. It is, this is um, what uh, the Gottlieb family does uh, for themselves. And there's it, the, the, 
they've done a lot of uh, investigation into the scientific literature and the, what's been published, uh, clinical trials, primary literature. And so, um, you know, you can decide for yourself, but there's a sound scientific basis in a lot of this. And really, it just works really well for their family. Um, and so it sounds like a lot of work, a little overwhelming. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a decision I, you know, individuals can make. Um, you know, that is the most common question I get, what can I do? And then you can decide how committed you are or capable you are, um, whether it's just physically, financially, or just whatever. But the important thing is you can improve on muscle health. Um, I actually should, should mention, uh, you know, Tamara didn't, didn't mention this, but, you know, I know that she is actually introduced uh, Dr. Tarnopolsky to um, this nutrient approach to FSHD and the antioxidants and such that he is now taking into his clinic and investigating. So there's a connection there. Um, and, uh, you know, so she's, she's really been at the front line and um, you know, just hell bent on making sure that, you know, her kids have the best and, and husband have the best, well, and herself, <laughs> the best muscle health going forward while we're all working um, on a, a, a something that shuts down ducks for and gets in and really gives you even a better chance. And even then, I think this will be even better, right? Once we can shut down the destruction, helping get muscle mass back. And, and um, but you know, honestly, myself, um, you know, aging is a muscle disease and I'm 53 and man, take, you know, taking better care of myself. The, you know, I got everyone knows I'm on the red wine regimen. Actually, you know, truth of the matter is just like a, a glass a night. It's really not that big a deal. Um, it's just... I know I, we, we have a good time, um, but, you know, maybe do more. I guess I should have asked about that. Well, yeah, that's kids. I don't know, but um, maybe we'll throw in uh, a bunch of these other things and get moving and to see, uh, you know, I like the idea of getting some energy back, you know, cause I, yeah, pretty tired and um, yeah, exercise I know has helped me in the past. And, uh, but now actually some of this, I think that sounds fantastic and it's worth a shot. Um, so uh, we're going to have, uh, um, I'm going to have both back, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out. I know people are busy, but we'll have definitely um, Tamara back uh, to ask some of the Facebook questions that you guys post on our website. Now, remember, this is the FSHD uh, nutrition supplements and uh, peer support Facebook group that she is the moderator of and has since started. And um, she tells me she gets tons of questions, which is one reason, you know, and, and so, you know, and, and like myself, she tries to respond, but, you know, it just becomes overwhelming. And so, uh, well, I thought maybe that having her on the podcast would be, you know, more often, you know, periodically and to address some questions, you know, to get it out to the wider audience. So um, you'll be hearing more from her in the future and uh, you know, less, less for me, more for her, you know, that's a good podcast. So we really appreciate it and uh, hope this was useful for you all. And, uh, you know, let's get uh, get that uh, muscle healthy, as, at least as good as you can. Um, and, um, you know, we're in the meantime, we're going to we're going to attack ducks for any, any any way we can. So, all right. Tuning out, uh, you know, my kiddo Jenny is going to be with us on Saturday. Um, for a little bit. And I also have, uh, you know, she's very shy. So kiddo Jenny's going to be there. She's coming home. Really excited to sit on the patio. Been a long time since been able to sit on the patio with my kiddo and we'll do the podcast. Um, but also going to have um, uh, Natalie Cooney and, and Emma Weatherly from uh, FSHD Global Research Foundation are going to be on. 
and we're going to talk about the Sydney Chocolate Ball. We're going to talk about their uh, their portal that they have set up, and and such and some things. So it's not the it's actually more of a formal um, proper podcast. I, I really want to you know the Chocolate Ball is coming up, and I want to want to get the word out. And uh, so that'll be uh, Saturday. And so pretty cool. You can hear about how Natalie and her dad, you know, helped uh, get FSHD Global going and getting uh, uh, the Australian FSHD community research ready. But it's not just about Australia. They are global, like we're global, and how people anywhere in the world can participate in their uh, portal and their um, uh, registry for uh accumulating uh, data around the world on FSHD uh, community um, and your your variability, your methylation um, and such. Anyway, they'll be, they'll talk more about that. And so that'll be Saturday and <laughs> I got to check when Arsenal's playing. We'll see what time the game, we'll, we'll see what time that podcast is going out and uh, if we're going to be happy or not. All right, man, give it away. Jagger, take us home, man. Yeah.